0: Welcome to the Big Screen Symposium 2018 podcast. The Big Screen Symposium took place in Auckland on the 26th and 27th of October. Please note, while many of the speakers used clips in their sessions, we've edited these out to better suit the podcast. Anna Dean works at the forefront of audience engagement across the digital, film, and social landscapes. In this session, Anna shares key learnings on changes to audience engagement in recent years. She provides practical tips to help you articulate your project in a way that connects and challenges you to think about what your audience actually wants rather than what you think they should know. Cool. Hello, hello.
1: I'm just going to work out where I want to stand because I was like, I don't really want to sit there. Um, But I might just move around a bit. Thank you for coming to me. I know that fantastic woman um, is on and uh, I know that she's going to be talking about joy and what I might be talking about might feel a little bit bleak, but we're going to end on a high note. With this this session originally, it was going to be a bit of a workshop and I wanted to give you some kind of practical tips and tricks to come away with. But it's always very difficult because there are different skill levels in a a group of people like this. So I'm going to go high level talk about some of the problems and then some kind of quick wins or quick solutions that I can see that people can potentially bring in. Um, I'm going to talk through a few projects and then I want you to hit me with your questions. Originally, this potentially was going to be like an AMA Ask Me Anything session for the whole hour, but I'm going to race through this stuff and and then you can ask me the questions because I think that's actually when the most useful learning can happen. So, da, 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 as discussed, um, I'm one half of Double Denim. That's us at work in our Cuba Street office, and we're a creative agency that sits alongside a gender intelligence consultancy. And we're really working into a into a whole new area of being specialists in marketing to women. Did a big piece of research into the power of the female economy last year, and that really informs everything that we do. And um, it's a really exciting time, exciting space. And just a wee plug, that is from a uh, Cuba Street cookbook that's just being launched uh, on Sunday by the fantastic Beth Brash, whose whose brother is just over there, Simon. Yeah, so as as discussed, well-known for this campaign. And um, I have a background originally in journalism. I was trained as a television reporter and uh, used to live down in Dunedin. Didn't like that very much and naturally got asked to start promoting things. And that the first thing I ever promoted was uh, contemporary dance. And I kind of ended up working at CNZ, and the projects have just gotten larger and larger and larger. And I'm really lucky, I think, because I'm 40 years old, and I sit s- kind of smack bang in that um zenio- bracket, where I understand how boomers think because I had an analogue childhood, but I also understand how millennials and younger generations think because I've had a digital adult working life. So I do impact producing that kind of sits in the middle of traditional old school publicity and um, social media or a digital experience. So I'm really into um, kind of that, that, that sweet spot where I can find and make impact. So, just to kind of give a bit of an overview, we all know that we're increasingly all hanging out online most of the time, and I constantly feel a wee bit sad uh, meeting up with people, and I'm like, oh, look looked like you had a great holiday. I did that to Jazz yesterday, actually. And I was like, <laughs> you know, I actually feel like I don't spend enough time with people in real life because I'm often hanging out on Instagram or on Facebook. And it's really interesting now, we're all hanging out online, but we also have these broadcast... Oh, I've actually got a pointer. There we go. Um, We also have these devices in our pockets, which mean we can be uh, individual broadcasters at any time. I was reflecting this morning, I kind of uh, turned my nose up a little bit at terrestrial television, and I was like, but actually, I can spend a good 20 to 30 minutes sometimes just looking at Instagram stories. And I was like, what's the difference? Why am I being such a snob about um, one form of content when I'm actually just actively glued to my screen for probably as as long as it would take to watch a television program? So our whole idea of, of what content and which platform we're looking at things on is really changing. And... These are the numbers. Uh, this is where everybody is. Uh, so this is to the first, uh, first half of this year. We now have five billion unique mobile users in the world and almost four billion internet users. Some of the latest data out of New Zealand shows that up to 91% of uh, people are getting their news through their mobile phone now. So, that has massive implications of of how you're stopping to tell anyone about any kind of project that you're doing. They're all going to look at it on their mobile. And yeah, it means that it's an incredibly tricky tricky space. Plus, there's a ridiculous, ridiculous amount of data being created. And we have 44 billion gigabytes a day. Two years ago, we're looking at 463 gigabytes billion gigabytes a day in 15 years. It's quite hard to kind of um, think of, of how, how much data that is, but um, it just, yeah, it just it just makes our jobs very, very, very difficult. And the thing I'm really realising, I end up giving the same kind of advice to different groups of people. It doesn't actually matter if you're the All Blacks or you're Jacinda Ardern or you're Taika Waititi or you're an independent. Docomaker, maker. You're all up against this, this same huge tsunami of digital information. So, what I'm always thinking about is how to get cut through. And I don't know if any of you have seen that television show, Naked Attraction. I was <laughs> like, oh my God. I'm like, are we, are we there? Are we actually there already? Everybody know what Naked Attraction is? It's a dating show where everybody's naked. From the feet up, there's this slow reveal and all of the contestants are totally nude. So it just means that um, these moments of kind of stopping people become become harder and harder. And we're so mobile, we're almost post-mobile. I was in the States this time last year and was talking to... Some people had just been at a conference where they were looking at um, synaptic responses chips that were going into this uh, main, just getting inserted here, where you could do open closing instructions. And the conference wasn't about the technology and, and how to create it. It was actually about how to release this to the general public without freaking the shit out of everybody so the emergent tech sector that is coming for us um, is is getting really intense but personally I'm actually quite looking forward to the time when um, everybody's not walking around looking at their phones I'm starting to get quite tired of that um, we also exist in this environment of a buy whenever culture Um, As advertisers, marketers, creators, we used to live in a kind of buy now messaging paradigm. So it was relatively easy for consumers or customers to know what what they wanted you to do and or what you wanted them to do. So now with this buy whenever pressure, I can literally sit here while I'm waiting for everybody to come in and book some flights to the states, check my account balance, do some banking, buy some sneakers. So or I could sit down and I could watch a loading docs you know documentary. So the buy whenever pressure, um, means that it's even more slippery. At these eyeballs that you're trying to get, they're even more slippery. So this this um, buy whenever culture, plus we're all up against this huge algorithm um, that has really captured all of our. Well, you know, you saw those numbers there. There's almost five billion five billion users, and it has definitely meant that in this space, in this in this space on your cell phone all content really is equal now. If it really, really is a situation where um, you have one to two seconds to stop me in my tracks and for me to actually look at whatever information you're trying to serve me or whatever you're trying to get me to do. I always use the example, I get on, uh, I land in planes, I watch people pull their smartphones out and I check, depending on what age they are, what their order of app engagement is. And I watch, and it's kind of like, you know, Instagram, email, you know, maybe they look at Tinder, maybe they'll turn on Twitter, and you literally watch them and they go, one, two, and then they move on. So this is the space that we're all having to deal with now. And it's really quite scary. Plus, we have this scenario with Facebook. (sighs) How many of you have pages on Facebook? I'm sure most people So you'll be familiar with this kind of brief history of pain. Yay, we're all on Facebook. People love us. This is like free advertising. Why is our reach dropping? We have to pay to reach people now? This is bullshit. And it really, really, really is bullshit. Now It's actually getting so freaking expensive to reach your followers on Facebook or to even consider starting a new Facebook page. Um, It really is prohibitively expensive. I set up the Save Radio New Zealand Facebook page years ago, and in four days, we got 40,000 followers. There's literally no way you could do that now. Even with what we do in the shadows, we went from 5,000 to 40,000, and we spent $400. Now you'd probably have to spend about $30,000 to get that amount. So. They really do have us um, in, a, in a, you know, they've got us by the balls, excuse the phrase, but it is really interesting with those um, growing metrics of mobile and uh, internet users, what we're actually finding is in the developed world, the latest Pew research from the States is showing that social media pickup is actually plateauing, it's actually plateaued over the last 18 months and it's starting to drop but only by one to two percent. But the numbers worldwide are still growing because the developing world is um, rushing to really, to really get in there. And um, I was traveling in Bali recently and I was amazed how many people had smartphones. And I was also amazed at the lack of kind of human interaction that was going on. I was traveling by myself and um, people were sitting in their cafes um, looking at TripAdvisor, deciding what to, what to order rather than actually talking to the waitress or talking over the table and asking somebody actually what they were what they were ordering. I was like, oh. so what can we do to combat this? I don't want to bum you all out. I know you've had two heavy days of heavy listening. People we generally find it doesn't matter what we're promoting or what we're working on, and we work across the political, the social good, cultural and commercial spaces. Increasingly, because everybody's under this digital tsunami of information, what we're really finding is that we want meaningful engagement. And the other thing I'm always harping on about is that as creators or as curators of information, we really need to respect the time and the pressures that our audiences are under. On average, mothers, if you're trying to reach mums, for example, they have, on average, 10 minutes of me time a day. So if you have an audience segment of mothers, you have to work out how you're going to be able to meaningful engage with them uh, in a way that's also respectful of their time restrictions. People also want fast, seamless, and relevant information. This, I uh, went to a very interesting Google um, presentation. Uh, they were mainly talking about um, newsletters and, and how, to, um, how, to, how to make sure that you're not kind of losing your numbers and, and fast, seamless, and relevant. Our, we, are, we are all digital consumers, and we all know how annoyed you get if, you know, if something's off or your name is misspelt or you're receiving something that feels like it's supposed to be for something else. We're incredibly savvy now. Everybody out there is incredibly digitally savvy, and the information you're providing always needs to be fast, seamless, and relevant. If you've got a website, it really pays to make sure that your upload time is, is as swift and efficient as it can be. The numbers of drop-off, drop-off rates for website views um, are so high after three seconds. If your page isn't fully loaded by three seconds, people vanish, they literally do, it's 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 brutal. And I know I do that myself, if I'm looking at my phone and it's like something's still not loaded by the second time I've looked at it, I'm gone. So fast, seamless, and relevant. Um, the other thing I just wanted to point out, I get very tired of this kind of um, short-term project spam that I've started to call white noise, really. Um, We talked about this at length at the Loading Docs session. With short-term projects, I, I feel also this is a similar lack of respect for an audience. This was a project that we did last year for Treat Her Right, which was about um, getting equal pay for women, a big issue before the the budget last year. And we had this whole campaign, and this Instagram feed was set up by an intern who was working with us at the time. And for me, uh, that's just creating dead air or white noise. This feed will never have any content ever served up to it ever again. So for me, it's kind of disrespectful to have made a commitment with these audience members. They've given us their time and their attention, and they'll, we haven't respected that by pulling them into something that's going to be a long-term relationship. This is just a short-term fling. So you always need to be thinking with any project or any project, uh, like, uh, piece of work that you're actually putting out there into the world. What is the long-term relationship that my audience is going to have with me? How is this going to take me forward and enable that relationship to grow rather than just giving them a, a short-term blast? There was a really good Instagram feed I was following recently called Women in Bed, which was a um, suffrage show at, um, at Circa. And... Um, you know, I was like, they were posting so much stuff. They were posting probably three, four times a day. There were 150 people following. And I was like, that's such a huge amount of effort and resource and time and thinking and content creation. And the show's only on for two weeks, and then it goes. So you, can, you don't have to be on every freaking channel. You have to work out um, where your audience is and, and what medium's going to be most appropriate for them. Does that make sense? Everybody looks really tired. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a long weekend. So busy be strategic. This is kind of one of the key points and leverage, leverage, leverage. We live in a landscape now where the media that we have at our disposal to be able to ask them to promote things for us is shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. I was talking to a festival uh, recently and they were saying that their media list, even two years later, had shrunk by probably about a third. Our our friends, our colleagues, our media people, they their, their lives are incredibly incredibly. incredibly stressful, so many people are being laid off, so we have to work out ways to go around the outside and create our own channels, but we also have to work out ways to leverage. And that was one thing I really tried to demonstrate with what we do in The Shadows. Back then, there was this kind of traditional publicity approach where there'd be like an eight-day period where you'd open every newspaper and listen to the radio, and there would be the information about that particular film. With Shadows, I wanted to do a six-week strategic programme, basically, targeting a whole lot of different sectors, mainly using email databases. Doesn't sound very sexy or very, you know, kind of cool, But it was really the way of making sure that our content could go to as many inboxes as possible because basically it was free. So um, Tyker had an idea. He wanted to do a poster competition. He was like, just chuck it up on Facebook. I was like, if we put that on Facebook, a competition on Facebook, we're going to get like 13 really average poster designs. It's not going to be worth anybody's time or effort. I happen to be working at semi-permanent. At the same time, It just by magic, actually happened, that semi-permanent was the same day that the trailer was released. So I asked to be able to do a guerrilla presentation. And that was purely because I wanted access to their database. I knew that they have, like, 150,000 graphic designers from all over Australasia. And plus, I knew that within this room that he's talking to, there were 2,000 incredibly enthusiastic, hungry, young designers who wanted to... um, you know, get noticed. So, of course, they're going to enter this competition. But this was six weeks out from the film being launched. And at that time, I was like, okay, I'm going to also contact all the design media and we're going to get that kind of stuff happening. So that was the first play six weeks out. And it was really interesting because I was working with Chris Henry, the publicist, and he was like, it was a very easy job because everybody had heard about all of this other strategic stuff that had been going to tap into these different audiences. The same thing with the relationship um, that they had with the film with uh, Trade Me, so I was like, okay, we're going to go to Trade Me, and we're going to give them some content, specifically about hobbies, and we're going to tie that in with doing some auctions as the vampires. We're making it fun. We're making it meaningful and engaging. We're giving people a bit of a surprise, and we're delighting them, but the only reason I really wanted to do that was because I wanted to get into the 1.6 million emails that Trade Me have. And I knew that they would want to do a trade with us, because obviously they want to look cool. They want Taika in their newsletter. So at the same time, this all happened because Taika was getting dressed um, as Viago for a 2020 interview. We did the same thing. We approached Find Someone and did a dating, uh, how to fill out your dating profile. This is all shot in my friend's flat. We did eight particular um, content marketing videos. I didn't know this was called content marketing at that time. It's actually called brandscaping, apparently. And it was purely so we could just tap all of these different databases. And so you always need to be thinking strategically in that way. How can I leverage rather than thinking about interest groups and kind of going, okay, I want to reach all teachers or every teacher needs to know about this project. It's like, what is the trade or what is the kind of content that you're going to be able to provide for them that's exclusive, that's going to make them look good, and that is going to give you access to people's emails, essentially. Plus, added a big publicity stunt, um, just to really seal the deal and make sure everybody knew about what was going on. But this was a similar thing where we had this idea to change uh, the name of the city to Wellington, convinced the airport that this would be a good thing for them to do, but at the same time created a whole lot of content that could go through the airport channels, go to their international media network and get them attention. We got coverage in Buenos Aires and all over South America and Japan and things like that. Plus, we had these this Vampire's Guide to Wellington. So it was also, again, done so that I could access the um, Positively Wellington Tourism Database and their channels, which were massive. So, right channel, right message, right time. That is the kind of key. If there's anything else, write that down. (laughs) It's the one thing. One thing... um, that's basically kind of uh, marketing shorthand these days, you really this kind of one size fits all, let's send out a press release, let's get some media people along, it just doesn't work anymore. You really have to be strategic about which channel you're talking to people on, which message you're using, and um, making sure it's the right time. I mean, we're constantly talking with political parties. It's like, let's not invite all these busy mothers to come and participate at a town hall. Let's not you know, make them feel more guilty or than they already are about their lack of engagement or potential to actually participate. Let's create things in ways where people can feel like they're meaningfully engaged and they're heard, but in a way that doesn't make them feel guilty, that's kind of, that's increasingly key. I just wanted to talk briefly about two very recent projects that I've worked on, um, because they were a good example of kind of a mismatch in some ways of wrong channel, wrong audience. Um, wrong time, actually, possibly. So they're quite interesting to contrast. Um, One of them was this What Women Want project, which is an incredible, incredible collection of women who came together to talk at length uh, in deep-level discussions around issues um, that are affecting women in New Zealand now and things like child abuse, pay equity, um, violence in the home, all sorts of heavy, heavy, heavy topics. And they had tried to get it on television Television were declined because it's a two-hour piece, two hours. Um, They shot with a live studio audience, uh, cut it over four days, and it was broadcast on stuff. So huge amount of work um, to create what was essentially a television broadcast through a web platform. And it's really interesting because stuff is obviously trying to take on broadcast TV. Plus it was also broadcast live on Facebook Live an edited version was broadcast as live. Um, Then also, at the same time, was working on a big project for UN Women, which this conversation with Helen Clark and Jacinda Ardern was for. So we have What Women Want. Ali Mao was the presenter. Very large panels. Um, You know, there's lots of women on each panel. Incredibly dense, incredibly interesting material. And stuff as a platform really um, uh, kind of, there was a mismatch really with the audience here. (laughs) So you have a whole lot of stuff, commenters going, this is fucking bullshit. I don't know what these women are worried about. You know, rah, 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 pay equity doesn't even exist. I'm just like, wow, this is, this is, this is horrifying. <laughs> and um, really tough for these makers who have spent all of this time and energy bringing all of these women together, this really incredible conversation. I actually urge you to watch it. It's, it's incredible. Um, but just this mismatch of the channel um, they made a dedicated website and on this website, uh, any woman who was part of the project has a 15 second kind of spiel about what she want, what she wanted for New Zealand. So it's a really interesting example of a transmedia project in New Zealand that's just happened now, but it didn't hit the right audience. Um, but I would urge you to have a look at it compared to this UN woman came to us and they had this idea they'd never made any content before these two 28 year old women and they wanted to do a 19 part uh, talking heads series of interviews with trailblazing women that were going to be cut um, and put up on Facebook and um, these trailblazers were going to talk about themselves I was like man that sounds boring as hell um, I really don't think that's going to hit the, hit the notes that you want it to hit. This is supposed to be appealing to young women. So we went through this kind of iterative process with them. Also, um, they thought they were going to get $100,000 from zero to fund that 19 part. Project. I was like, you're absolutely dreaming. And we went, they went away, they came back, they had another thing. The second attempt, what they were going to do was these dedicated portraits of each of these trailblazing women with camellias in their hair or as a brooch and, you know, black and white portraits. I was like, wow, that sounds like white privilege. You know, like, that really just doesn't feel like it's going to be incredibly engaging. And if I was a trailblazing woman, why would I share a portrait of myself to my social network? So we're always trying to go, what, what, is, the, what is the problem that you're solving for your audience? Or what is, the, what is the respect that you are showing them by giving them some good information and capturing their attention? So what we got to in the end with the same woman, we got all of them to give a piece of advice to their younger self. And we made very short Instagram videos. They're, they're tiny. They're just on a, on a loop. They take about six seconds. They, they barely move. And each person shares some advice to their 18-year-old self. So, of course, that was something that people wanted to share. You don't feel like too much of a dick sharing something like that. And then everybody was able to share the other information of everybody else. And it, and it went really well because it also had this thing to drive people to the Instagram so this was this was kind of the, the viral moment that that meant that everybody was going to go on that funnel to kind of start following UN women. They had a huge uptake. Obviously, this conversation had never happened before. No journalists had access to this, and this was purely because they were UN women They had access to Helen. Um, It's a beautiful conversation. But for me, it was really like, okay, here's something useful for the audience that's going on stuff. This was also broadcast live. It's Facebook Live. And here's an appropriate channel, an appropriate message for a young female audience. So you can kind of see the difference in this, in this space. The other thing, just going back to audience engagement, I really can't go on about this enough that participation is key. And one thing I'm always thinking of is like, how do I make whatever I'm working on seem like a, a party, a FOMO-worthy party that no one wants to miss out on? What are the things that I can do to actually make this seem like everybody needs to be there? Uh, Basic example of this is like with Julian for wilder people. I was really feeling for the mums and dads that were going to have to wait in malls for two to three hours to get an autograph. Let's make this engaging, let's make this fun and meaningful riff off some of the content from the film and get all the kids to dress up like real good bush. So all of the parents have fun, plus anyone who's in a mall is wondering what on earth's going on, and all of the parents, all of the kids are making content and becoming the ambassadors for the project. So just simple things, but a way of making it fun and engaging and meaningful. Again, something from Shadows, putting the right invitation out. This was an entry in a competition to see who could come to the premiere. Um, it's really great in a genre film where everybody knows what vampires do. Here she is putting on her makeup and because she's a vampire, she's got no reflection. She didn't actually even win. She, um, There were far better contributions. So people want to get involved if, if, if the if the ask is kind of creative or interesting or FOMO-worthy enough. So just a little bit of an overview. Be strategic and leverage, leverage, leverage. Newspapers, are newsletters aren't lame, trust me. I really think there's nothing better than a really good newsletter. Um, and we had a big talk about this in, at the Loading Docs thing. It was like, how often is too often? I was like, don't hit people up unless you've actually got something interesting to say. Also don't necessarily see it as having to be purely about your own projects. I remember when I was at broadcasting school as a trainee to be a journo 20 years ago, what they were saying was in the future, Okay, now, um, good journalists or good uh, content providers would be people who'd be a trusted source of information. And your newsletter can actually be that. If you're particularly interested in self-help, for example, and here's a whole lot of articles, we run a, a group called the Ace Lady Network, and our newsletters are very popular because it's just kind of a special curation of things that we know are going to be really interesting to our audience. They're fast, they're seamless, and they're relevant. Don't leave marketing to the last minute or to somebody else. You always have to take responsibility for thinking about that stuff as you go along. It can't be just tacked on the end. Keep your channels up to date and always hustle, hustle, hustle. Um, I really appreciated... Uh, last night even being given a brooch about the 10 years of NZ On Screen existing. I was like, that's fantastic. Here's something that seems so simple, and I'm going to look at that. It's going to remind me to go and look at NZ On Screen. We seem to be so enamoured with that digital space, we're kind of forgetting the importance of flyers and just actually having face-to-face conversations with people or giving them a brooch or actually just working out ways to, to connect because we're all we're all stuck and looking. So the other thing I just wanted to race quickly through is audiences and really making sure if you're putting anything out there into the world and trying to get people to engage, you have to know intimately and very clearly in your own mind why the fuck anyone should care, because people are so, 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 so busy. This is it has to be very clear in your mind. It doesn't matter if it's a great film or you've worked and you've researched really hard and it's like your life's work. Why on earth should anyone care? You really have to have that clear in your mind. And also, the other thing that needs to be very clear is what are you asking them to do? Are you asking them to come and on opening weekend? Are you actually asking them to share something? Are you asking them to participate? Are you, you know, what, what, what is your call to action? Making sure that's incredibly clear and obvious. Because people skim, they're just skimming, 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 skimming. So it has to be incredibly clear and reiterated. And audiences, again, people are kind of always asking me, I'm like, who's your audience for this? And they're like, oh, all New Zealanders, or all women, or all this, all that. I'm just like, you're never, ever going to be able to hit them unless you've got like millions and millions and millions of dollars in advertising budget. So uh, your key audiences are always friends and family first, your, your kind of followers from the crowd. So the people who, I mean, um, with Loading Docs, we were talking about people who had done, who've obviously followed a crowdfunding campaign or they've already got a vested interest. So the people that are aware of what you're up to, you've got your interest group. So it's kind of like, okay, I've made a feature film about sharing. Obviously, I'm going to talk to farming communities and all sorts of things and go to a and shows and really mainline that way. But I'm always also thinking about the low-hanging fruit from a mainstream audience perspective. And I just wanted to highlight, um, CNZ actually has some quite good information about the kinds of people that engage with the arts. This stuff's all up there. It's all free. But also what I wanted to really point out, this helixpersonas.co.nz, have a look at that. It's pretty intense. And it basically breaks down all of the kind of audience consumer groups that we have in New Zealand. Um, we talked through this a bit of loading docs and um, we kind of played around in the website for a bit and people were kind of laughing and, you know, it's like... These these groups are very specific. It's based on what people shop, you know, where they go, what they like doing with their free time. And the categories are incredibly specific. But if you go through this, you can actually find out who are the people that are going to be most likely to be watching a web series, for example, or who's going to be watching a television show. What else do they like doing? So then you can kind of go around and you can work out where you're going to be able to hit them. And this is kind of marketing 101, but it actually really helps to go through and and really drill down into seeing who actually is going to be most likely to connect with you. That's just one group, the Metro Techs. There's so many different kinds, um, and it's a hugely great resource that's actually all available for free. And this kind of breakdown of these young, different, this, this is just the young group, but these different groups, that's how Facebook targeting works these days. So you can be incredibly specific based on people's um, other interests, and that's called programmatic advertising. Okay, cool. Has anybody got any questions? I'll take it back. It's um, Helix Persona. Sorry, it's right down the bottom. You can actually plug your own details in and find out which group you fit in. Yeah. How would they match that up? Oh, it's based on, um, I mean, they're, a, they're an advertising agency, so it'll be based on all of the Colmar, branch of any kind of um, research that's around shopping, consumer behaviour, um, media engagement, all sorts of things. Yeah. I've got this. First so yep.
0: at the end of a process, you know it's
1: it mm-hmm. Along the way. The yeah. When you know it's not (laughs) going (laughs) to (laughs) work. I don't do projects like that. (laughs) 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 Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, I'm trying to think of something that didn't work. Well, I mean, that that, um, what women want didn't work. Uh, But... For me, they came to us too late in the process. They came when they'd just gone, oh shit, we need to think about the marketing and getting the word out there. So that's a big signpost. If you haven't sorted your strategy out, kind of even when you're thinking of shooting, um, you know, that's that's a that's a flag. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's a it's a science, but it's also quite intuitive. Uh, that's how I operate is my creative practice, is working out how people are gonna to react to something. So I think if I was starting to get concerned I would know, but I'm not I'm not sure how to explain what those those signals would be for me. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, I feel like I've been through quite a few iterations of that. The first film job I ever did was Two Little Boys down in Invercargill and I was on set for six weeks and we were in the Catlins and it was so exciting and I'd never been on a film set before and I was basically photographing everything and telling the story from the perspective of someone who'd never been on set. I was like, oh shit, AT's coming. Everybody's getting like really psyched about AT. I'm like, what the hell's that? I was like, oh, it's afternoon tea, (laughs) You know, like (laughs) just kind of, (laughs) so sharing those kinds of experiences and creating a little world on that one. It was the first time, you know, um, before then in New Zealand, we'd had that whole kind of Lord of the Rings things where journalists had been banned and there'd been helicopters flying over Miramar and people getting, you know, journalists getting restraining orders and all sorts of stuff because they were so set ag- against not sharing any of that imagery. And I think Peter Jackson had really realised the mistake in that it was too expensive to keep everybody out. So... I can't remember which film it was, but they started doing the behind-the-scenes doco stuff. And it was like, oh, okay, it's not the end of the world if you show someone in their full makeup and and things. And I think now we're kind of quite beyond that process. You don't need to take everybody on this freaking hand-holding journey for um, necessarily. It totally depends on what the project is about. But what I'm really finding now, the, the point of promotion... Uh, you know, say, say X is launching here, people, people are so impatient and they're so used to that fast, uh, fast um, uh, reward. They, uh, they want to be able to click and watch or do X immediately. And I really noticed that on Wilder People. Um, so that's, a, you know, two, two and a half years ago now. Uh, people were contacting me in advance of the film coming out asking for the torrent download. I was like, man... Are crazy? Uh, but it's like anyone under kind of 25 has got a completely different relationship because they've been brought up on YouTube. So they're used to being able to go and watch and consume immediately. So that has a huge kind of difference now on um, the kind of material that you're collecting to build your audience. And that's why I'm kind of like, okay going around through different channels is the way to do it. And still, I mean, I think you shoot the shit out of it, you get as much content as you can, but you have to not just put that content out in any kind of random way. You actually have to be able to think strategically, where can this content go? What what are we keeping for ourselves? And also, what are the content that, that someone... Someone like me can riff on, because that's what it's all about. It's kind of like working out how you can riff on these particular things. With what we Do in The Shadows, terrible film name, title terrible, really hard to remember, really long, can't hashtag that. So, really went, okay, we need, we need a, a solid hashtag, delicious necks, that led to so much content that could be riffed off, because that's, that's what you're wanting. You're kind of wanting to be able to riff and keep playing. Because that's what keeps it interesting. I mean, I do not want to see any other behind-the-scenes film shot of a, of a camera team, you know, like a, the crew in Puffer Jackets. My God, please don't. You know, like, because that has no interest for anyone outside and it makes that seem like a cool gang that you can't get into as, a, as an audience member. It's not respectful for me because it makes you guys look cool. You know, like it's just, it's, it's thinking, thinking, thinking always how, how am I going to invite the viewers in. Yeah. And it keeps changing. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a tricky one. That's tricky. I mean, trailers are a whole other science. And we've all seen, you know, that kind of thing where I mean, you hear people talk about it. It's like, oh, I saw that trailer. I'm not going to bother because they've got like all the funny gags in there. There's a or all those all those key moments. Yeah, Jazz, you've probably got an, a theory on trailers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just really depends on who you're trying to try to reach, but you've got to keep some mystery. You've got to make them actually want to go. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, that was like a whole uh, crazy, crazy world, and they literally, I literally, that job for me was six weeks. I started the day before the trailer launched. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, the, we, we got some incredible posters, and they ended up being printed and, and um, posted around the country. Yeah. I mean, uh, the conversation that I had had about that started the week before, I, and I... Because I was I had other contracts, so I literally started on that day when that thing happened, but I was racing, I was racing, and it was interesting for me because I really thought that Tyker and Jermaine were going to um, have quite a clear plan of how they were going to do things, and because of the success of boy and the the content that was around that, and that they were just like, oh, we'll just chuck it up on YouTube, and I was like, yeah that that was appropriate two years before, but the 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 audiences have moved on, and we need to create these kind of packages. So it was just packaging everything up in these six-week blocks. Um, Because, I mean, the beauty in that was that they had so much material that hadn't made the film. So it was like, okay, let's do hobbies, let's do love, let's do... I can't even remember. It's all been cut out from my mind <laughs> it wasn't a lot of sleep and um, you know so ch- packaging that up and and making sure it could go to the biggest audience that way mm. but it was a six week job i finished the night uh, that it launched the the premiere yeah um, i had a question about that uh we were shadows we wanted to do yeah, yeah. Were you trying to raise
0: seeing well, whatever you're delivering is not going to be the platform that you're going to be seeing it
1: at. So yeah. How do you get there? I guess the end result would be to somehow drive them to go and watch it. Yeah. Everything I was Yeah. Everything I was doing was driving people to go on opening weekend. So that was the that was the clear thing. So everything was pushing towards opening weekend. That was my job to, to get that box office on opening weekend, and it was interesting because in t- terms of talking about riffing, um, I, this grandmother sent me a picture of her son dressed up as a vampire. And I was like, oh man, this is so great. Let's just encourage everybody to dress up as vampires on opening weekend, and literally in Wellington you could see all of these people going down to the embassy Dressed up, and it was incredible because people, you know, it was. Uh, it's very easy for people to know what vampires do. So there's a whole lot of riffing that they can do themselves. Um, but you know, it's just kind of being being playful. But it was all driving for opening weekend. Didn't didn't matter. I mean, it was a bit tricky because the week before the film, Tyker and Jermaine were actually getting asked about the campaign rather than the movie, which was a li- You know, it was like, whoa, this has gone a little bit too far. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's more important now than it was then because social media wasn't so expensive then. It's so much more expensive now, um, so databases are pretty much cheap. I mean, you can, free, you can, MailChimp subscriptions are cheap compared to the cost of reaching people through social. So yeah, it's ma- way more important now. I mean, I know it's a pain. I know keeping emails up to date is a pain in the bum, but um, it's actually the way that you can keep your interested, caring crew who want to follow you through a particular process. And 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 on that, I mean it's with with shadows, I learned a real lesson. I made a YouTube channel, because um, hadn't didn't have one, and What We Do on the Shadows YouTube, there are thousands of subscribers to that. They will never be served any content. So with Wilder People, I was like to Cathy, I was like um, we need a much bigger umbrella here. This can't be Wilder People channel. So we made a Pickies film YouTube Channel, so now the breaker operas went through, trailer went through that. Um, Aruha Bridge will come out on that. Any other picky related thing will be served to those people who love Taika. So it's a win-win for everybody. So it's kind of always keeping that wider, longer view in mind, rather than just particularly the project that you're working on. I know that's hard, but it's you know that that long game is so much more important. Yeah. Hi. How do you build that? Mm. Well, um, I mean, it's interesting. I always keep a close eye on what young filmmakers are doing. And some people are more successful at it than others. And it's really tricky because as kind of, creators in these times, I mean, it's just like being any kind of artist, you're expected to be the accountant and the marketing person and, you know, to, to, to take care of all these different areas, um, but it's kind of back to that hustle. It's making sure you have those basics, like having a business card. When I was introducing someone here last night and I was like, oh, just swap cards. And they were like, oh, I don't have any. I was like, oh, come on. You know, just those are those basic, basic things and kind of taking advantage of any opportunity that you have to really connect with people face to face. That's still the key thing and collecting people's email addresses to be able to send them newsletters (laughs) rather than putting too much work into um, a Facebook page, for example. I mean, Instagram works really well for filmmakers because it's like a visual diary. I mean, that's, that's, that's great. And it really depends who that filmmaker's actually trying to reach. If you're trying to reach staff at the Film Commission, for example, you'd have a totally different strategy than just trying to build your audience of Metro Techs or whoever. Yeah. I mean, but it's tough. It's really tough. But it's the same for any business. Any any small business in this is any political party, everyone's facing the same the same issues. Hmm. Yep. And we have they are, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that that whole stuff comments thing, it's kind of like everybody that kind of talkback radio mentality seems to have migrated. They used to all be on Trade Me forums. <laughs> then, <laughs> then they went across to stuff comments, and now they're in Facebook comments. And you can see the different vibe that that's created. And it was really interesting watching that whole band 1080 kind of attack that happened about six weeks ago. I was like, wow, this is, this is ferocious. What was your question again? How do they... How do you deal with it? How do you deal with it? You deal with it? Yeah, well, it's... Uh, It it totally depends on what the controversy is, but with uh, Wilder People, for example, um, there was a piece in the spin-off, a review of um, Crump's book, that basically said what a misogynist and tricky customer he had actually been. So the first thing I did was tweet that and um, actually acknowledge the suffering and that experience of, of that woman and that... She had been heard, and it was great that this story was getting out there. So immediately acknowledged it. I got quite a bit of feedback. People were like, wow, kudos to the marketing person who, who owned this. So often, often that's the best approach. It completely depends what the controversy is. Sometimes the controversy can be quite handy. Sometimes, you know, it can be a freaking disaster. But you just have to kind of respond. I wasn't responsible for the materia Ture stuff. Like <laughs> <laughs> that was, and, and that was a huge controversy to have to deal with, so it d- completely depends what the, what the situation is. But there are particular people who are incredibly skilled at managing managing that kind of thing. That's, n- I wouldn't call that a huge area of expertise for me. That's like hardcore PR. Do you think that any project can get cut through to do the work? Do the well, the work supposed has to be good. That's ultimately what it comes down to. I can get as many people, you know, potentially as possible to your opening weekend, but if the film's terrible. And, um, yeah, you can, you can kind of go through processes where you leverage all sorts of channels. But, again, if, if people, if the word of mouth's not good, not going not gonna to work, yeah. Yeah. So, you still, I mean, it's tricky. You still have to put as much thought into the project, into the product. Yeah. Oh, come on. It must be more questions. Okay. Obviously, you
0: can
1: start marketing too late, but is there such a thing starting too early? Um, personally. <laughs> um, or do you mean if you're marketing a project too early? So, with. Um, Two Little Boys, for example, um, that Facebook page was started and, and got a lot of the Invercargill community kind of excited and ready and interested. Then the film was delayed by a year. So by the time the film came out, I think the Facebook page was two years old, possibly. It was a really long lag. So... The locals kind of couldn't even remember that that film had happened two years ago. And the thing that they wanted, because I did the um, red carpet down there, and the thing that everybody locally wanted were the latest. There was a couple, a brother and sister from the block, and that's all they, uh, you know, I was like, oh, we've got this great film premiere, blah, 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 happening here. And, and the, you know, kind of tumbleweeds, no one was really interested. And then it was like, the brother and sister from the block are going to be here. And it's like, woohoo, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know you you can do too much, I think, and I think that that even that my sweet spot is six weeks. like I really like having six weeks to to work with as long as it's kind of going out in in different directions. Um, and it was interesting for me because the only thing that I could relate to getting people to go to opening weekend. Two is getting people to go and vote on a particular day. And it's really interesting because that whole voting mechanism has now stretched out to a three-week campaign. You know, so it's a completely different campaign. And it completely depends whether you're promoting something that's an online project or it's a real-world project. So, but yeah, you can definitely spam people too much. People hate that. It's the worst. It's the worst. But some personality types need more reminders. You kind of work out through those that, that programmatic kind of advertising Uh, information, how and when to remind each other. I mean, it's pretty insane. Like, Facebook's now getting pretty creepy, and there are algorithms that set, once you've announced your engagement, they will start serving you um, engagement, uh, wedding ring advertising at the averagely timed out length of time it takes before people get engaged to get married. So, same thing with um, all sorts of, it's called life stage advertising. So, um, it's that's getting really deep. You know, they've been scanning our emails for ages and, and pulling keywords to advertise to, but now they're working out these kind of time links between things that happen to humans around the globe. Um, yeah, well, it was interesting with Shadows, we kind of, and with Wilder People, we kind of set up kind of chunks of information that could be shared or could be recreated in the different territories, but the thing is that actually each territory is quite different and has quite different needs, you know, it's just like making an American version of that poster and that kind of thing. Um, Yeah, I've worked a lot with Andrew from Mad Men, and it is quite different when you when you go into those different places, but sometimes they use similar activations and similar, definitely similar jokes, do you reckon? You were just looking, at your fine, that's why I did that. <laughs> but it's interesting, I've got a huge project launching for a superannuation fund uh, in Australia that launches next week, and yeah, that's really interesting and surprising, trying to make superannuation cool. And, um, yeah, but we've, yeah, so that's going to be really interesting to see how how that goes, because that's to an Australian market. So we're quite excited about that, a little bit nervous. Hmm. Yeah, but you do the... Target market. Pardon? Is it a young target market to get people to sign on early? No, it's all ages, all ages yeah. But it's fe- it's a female fund, so that's why they've come to us, yeah. Yeah, I read a lot of stuff on the internet, and um, my business partner and I are kind of always riffing about this stuff. When we've gone to conferences overseas, we've generally found that we've been like, really? This is where the level of conversation is at? Because you can actually uh, try things out quite quickly and move a lot faster than um, you can in certain areas. We went to a big um, kind of online marketing conference uh, in New York last year, and... Yeah, we were both like, shit, we could be on stage here. In New Zealand, we tend to think, oh gosh, it's New York, it'll be amazing, and they'll all be so far ahead of the game. But over there, particularly with social knowledge, you get incredibly specialised. So you could be like a Facebook um, conversion master, and that's all you'll get. Um, hired to do, so everything gets very stripped out into your area of expertise, whereas we can go completely broad and, you know, kind of try things out as we go along. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, by digital, are you meaning day and date and doing a release? No? No, 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 I'm looking
0: at campaign wise, like the amount of time we spend, like we could all do total digital campaigns. Yeah. But how much do you say for films coming out if you
1: were know, sort talking of, about how do you think the kind of traditional spend yeah. in other areas, like the best website? Yeah. Posters, la la. Yeah. yeah. No, shit no. No, 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 (sighs) Yeah, I mean, the tricky thing is now you have to do kind of three times as much work. That's actually the reality because you have to do the traditional and you have to come up with something insane and wacky for the impact and you have to tick all your digital boxes. So it is It is much, uh, you know, it's a much bigger ask. Um, Proportion-wise, I mean, it's really interesting if I can think of uh, a digital, uh, a, a project that we would have all seen last year in the lead-up to the election, um, which is like, you know, it's selling a product, basically. Um, Thinking of the Opportunities Party. They had posters everywhere. They had a huge amount there. And their digital engagement, they spent so much money on their digital. Their digital engagement would have shown, they thought they were going to get like 10%. And that was, to me, because I was watching those numbers, I was like, oh my God, they're going to do so well. But it was a real reminder that that offline stuff, um, that's actually what the bulk of your population is actually engaging with because we get so siloed in these digital online spaces. And also we've been seeing all these falsified numbers that Facebook have been putting out, and people are getting quite suspicious of that, because it's a huge money pit, and all of that money is being spent, and no tax comes back to New Zealand, it all goes offshore, um, and there's that really good piece from Duncan Greeb in the spin-off last week, just about the effect that that's had on our local news media, um, and they've all been pivoting to, to video, but actually, you know, the implications of that are tricky. I would, I would still go, I'd probably go 50-50, but I don't, I don't really know. What the um I mean, I know that you guys don't spend as much on digital as you do in real world, I don't think, yeah, no, no no no, yep, yeah. yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah. depends how. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a really interesting question, and it's something that all makers have to really think quite carefully about. Um, and we had a huge conversation with this in Loading Docs in the workshop a couple of days ago, because it's like that weird blend that we all have between our real world and our digital selves. I mean, anyone um, who's alive at this time has that conundrum. And it's amazing, because I get um, invites from young people eight-year-old, ten-year-old makers of YouTube channels who want me to follow them. And, you know, they're creating brands at that age, from that age. And I also go, like, I've looked at people's Bumble profiles, Bumble profile, so a kind of younger demographic of millennial, of millennials, and going, wow, these are so carefully manufactured digital brands. So it's becoming a really normal part of life. But I think what people know is that it is actually not necessarily your real living, breathing, actual self. Depends where your personal line is of how much you want to put out there. I wouldn't bother having two separate ones personally. I have a separate one because I have a work one that's a, a an agency that's bigger than just me. No, not really, no, no, no. Um, I'm, my Anna is just more of a visual diary of just things that have caught my eye, or you know, things that have interest to me. So, whereas work, it, it's very worky, yeah. But you just, yeah, you just have to, you have to work out who you're talking to and why, and why the fuck they should care. There was another question somewhere. Yeah. Sorry, yep. Do you know <laughs> Uh, I, yeah, yeah, I mean, personally, it's quite interesting, I feel like quite a few of the early adopters are migrating now off Facebook, yeah, and people are kind of digging down into Instagram a bit, so there's there's a big shift happening there, but your mainstream audience, are and they are in that Facebook space. I mean the the future of that is probably similar to what we have in China, where you have one app that kind of has all those different. Um, we have everything very separated out, but the, it'll it'll all end up being inside the same app like Weibo. Yeah, gosh, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Personally, I'm quite worried about that IPCC climate change report and um, <laughs> who knows what's coming. And also, I mean, a lot of the emergent tech sector stuff that's like 18 months, two years, three years away, we have no idea how much that's going to revolutionise what we're actually doing now. I mean, I think of times before my smartphone. That was only seven years ago. And I'm contactable at any time of day or night. I'm expected to be on multiple channels, I'm kind of hoping that it'll actually be a bit more of a a turnaround to -to face-to-face, you know, kind of actually community groups. I mean, um, and even getting people to go along and watch films in shared spaces or smaller spaces so they can kind of communicate that way. Because I really, I'm so sick of watching things on my laptop in bed. It's not a a great shared experience. And the other thing I think people are realising about social is that you're all hanging out online on social, but you're actually on your own, plugging in. Yeah. So, so there's a there's a big
0: shift happening.
1: Yeah. So, um, thank you. Good luck. Well done.
0: <laughs> this session is presented by Loading Docs. The Big Screen Symposium is brought to you by Script to Screen and Gender. We would like to thank our event partners, the New Zealand Film Commission, New Zealand On Air, Images and Sound, Screen Auckland, and Stage and Screen Travel Services. VoiceOver was provided by Samantha Dukes, and music by Poddington Bear.